Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. I need to stop. Um, Hey, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew's the first book in what we call the New Testament. You have 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It's going to be about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew chapter 7, it's the first of what we call four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are biographies of the ministry of Jesus, life and ministry of Jesus. And so Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, it's the final chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. I've been doing a sermon series entitled, uh, Jesus Said What?, And we've been looking at some of the statements Jesus said. Now, here's the truth about your Bible. You may not know this. Uh, Most of the words in your Bible are printed in black ink. Now, everything in your Bible is the Word of God. From Genesis to Maps, it's all the Word of God in there. But inside of that Bible, in the New Testament, there's some words printed in red. Those are the words that Jesus spoke during his ministry, and his uh, followers recorded them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, the words in red aren't more Bible than the words in black. They're all the word of God. They're all inspired, infallible, inerrant. That means it's without error, totally trustworthy. Hey, that's a good place to say amen right there, church. Say amen. And totally trustworthy. But sometimes we just want to know what Jesus said. And even in the words in red, there's a lot in the, those biographies in red. There's one particular sermon. It is the sermon that rocked the world. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been going through there, not, not everything Jesus said that we've been looking at, but we've been looking at some of the more controversial things he said. And we talk, we've looked at, I won't name all of them, we, we've looked at uh, uh, nipping the bud. That's dealing with sin before it gets started. We've talked about loving your enemies. We've talked about stress. And, and, and that list goes on. I preached four, five, six sermons. Uh, be sure if you've missed any of those, you can go to the uh, app. Just search Peavine City Church in your, on, your, on your iPhone or your Android and uh, it'll pop up and all the sermons are right there. My sister-in-law this week was flying back from Duke and she was telling me yesterday that she was listening to my sermon on worry on the airplane and she was sitting next to a Muslim and he asked her what uh, she was listening to and she said, I'm listening to a sermon by my brother-in-law on worry. And he said, uh, man, that's kind of timely. I'm going through a divorce and it's got me stressed out. So she had him download the app on his phone so he could listen to my sermons. I, I think that's fantastic. And so if you don't know how to witness, sometimes get somebody to download the app and, and uh, plug them in. And that's a great way to do it. And I encourage you to go back. So many people have said, hey, we've loved this sermon. We've loved that sermon. That has nothing to do with my preaching, but it shows you the power of the sermon on the map, uh, uh, map a sermon on the mount. 2,000 years later, those are still some, uh, some powerful words that speak into our lives today. So I want to pull out another story, another, another not a story, but a, uh, a couple of really almost just two phrases that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. And, and here's what he said to us in Matthew chapter 7. I, I can sum up the whole sermon with the title of it. It's this, make a good decision. Make a good decision. So let me just kind of lead into that and we'll stand in just a moment and read a, a couple of verses. Have you ever wondered, have you ever pulled up to an intersection and you, you thought to yourself, hey, well, I, 
I've seen a lot of accidents at this intersection. Well, the, the National Transportation Safety Board uh, not long ago decided that they, they thought there were some intersections that, that lended itself to have more accidents than other intersections did. So they, they set aside, a, they, they, they started on a 50-state uh, project to determine the most dangerous intersections in every state and then the most dangerous intersection in the nation. So here's what they looked at. From 2003 till 2012, they looked at um, accidents that occurred within 150 feet of each other. So they looked for pockets of accidents. And so they would find these pockets of accidents and they would see if they were all in the intersection. And sure enough, they, they discovered that there were certain intersections in every state that were just more dangerous than other intersections. And so they determined that one intersection uh, uh, in particular was an incredibly dangerous intersection. Matter of fact, I have a picture of it on the board. It's in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, and it's at the corner of Knights Road, um, uh, where, uh, uh, where it's at the corner of Knights Road in Pennsylvania. Now, here's what they discovered: in a in a t in that ten year time period, there were 144 accidents right in that intersection. There were seven of those accidents that had fatalities. And in total, there were 170 people injured or killed at Knights Road intersection in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. The most dangerous crossroads in the United States. Here, here's what they said. They determined that um, the one-mile stretch of road, uh, 144 crashes, 170 people died or injured. And they said it is due to vo high volume of traffic, poor signage, dim lighting, and aggressive drivers. I've heard of aggressive drivers. I've never seen one, but I have heard of some <laughs> in places. People that honk their horns and other people and stuff like that. And I've heard of those. Now, if you're wondering about Georgia, in Georgia, the most, the most dangerous intersection in Georgia is in Stone Mountain at the crossing of Memorial Drive and North Harrison Road. And I tell you that story, I tell you that, show you that picture just to tell you that every now and then you come up on a crossroads that you know just has that feel like it's dangerous. And I want to say to you that every now and then in life, you come up on a crossroads in life as well, and you have to be careful. You come up on a crossroads in life that you can go left, you can go right, you can go straight, you can stay where you are, but here's what you begin to get the feeling like. If I make a bad decision here, this could lead to an accident. If I make a bad decision at this crossroads in life, it could be that years from now, I, I go back and I, I pinpoint this decision, this crossroads. That set my life on the right trajectory or set my life on the wrong trajectory? And can I tell you this, that every day of your life, in all probability, you are making decisions that are affecting the outcome, the success and failure of your life. Every day of your life, you are at crossroads in your life, and it is imperative that you learn how. It's imperative that you understand that God was trying to tell us it is important that you make good decisions. So stand with me and let's see how, let's read how God words it. If you have your Bible, your digital device, or it's going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it off the screen myself. You can look up here with me. Here, here's what God said. Here's what Jesus said in two verses. Enter by the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because, he said in verse 14, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few, few who find it. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. These are the closing verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And from here on out, Jesus is dealing with similar themes for the remaining uh, of chapter number seven. Previously, Jesus has been talking about day-to-day living. And we've talked about loving your enemies. And we've talked about prayer and anxiety and worry and sin and and forget. We've talked about all those things so far. But now when Jesus gets into uh, uh, the end of chapter 7, he's no longer in that necessarily that day-to-day. We're not being as specific as we close out chapter 7. As a matter of fact, chapter 7, starting where we are right now, in a sermon, we would call this the invitation. In chapter number seven, beginning in verse 13, God, Jesus is beginning to give the invitation to his sermon. And for the rest of the verse, for the rest of the chapter, we, we begin to deal with similar things. For example, beginning in verse 13, he talks about there are two ways. And then he talks about there are two trees. And then he talks about there are two kinds of followers. And then he closes out by talking about two ways to build. And what Jesus is doing now, as he gets in at the end of the sermon, is he's giving us not the... Not, not the low down view, but kind of the 30,000 foot, foot view of life. And Jesus is starting to make the case that some will enter heaven and some will not. And it's all about what you decide to do with Jesus. So let's flip back in, into verse number 13. And let me walk you through those two verses for just a moment. The image of two paths in, in, in Jewish life was common. They often talked about two paths, separate paths, that one that led to paradise, one that led to Guiana or the grave or to death or hardship. There was always a narrow path that was difficult, but it led to e- eternal life. And so Jesus is taking that familiar theme and he's talking about it now in these two verses. Now he begins verse 13 by talking about the narrow gate But what we want to do is, uh, he kind of starts it off, hey, here's what you need to do, but some of you are doing this. So let let me save the narrow gate for verse 14, and let's look at the other gate he talked about for just a moment, because Jesus called it a wide gate. He said that there is a wide gate and a broad way, a broad road, a, a road and a gate that have plenty of room on the road. But he said, there is one problem with this wide gate. There's one problem with this broad way. And that is, it is a road that leads to destruction. Jesus is painting the picture that the broad gate and road is inviting. There's plenty of room on this road. And those uh, who follow the, would follow the cultural norms of the day, they are on this road. And Jesus says plainly that there are many who go in by this road and this term uh, wide and broad invoke a sense of ease and comfort. Jesus is telling those listening that you can travel comfortably. You can get in on this road easily and no one will condemn you on this road. But the comfort is deceiving because notice what he says that this broad way leads to destruction. Now look right this way. That word is a word that's used of eternal destruction, eternal punishment, but it also just means death in general. And so God was not just talking about, though he is, we'll look at it in a moment. He's not just talking about eternal punishment. He's also talking about there is a broad way 
that leads to your failure in life. And that's where most people are on. But he contrasts it. And he he starts it in verse 13, but he he carries it over it really into verse 14. He repeats himself and he says, verse 13 is the call to action, enter into the gate. But then what narrow gate? But what gate? Well, he talks about it in verse 14. And he talks about the narrow gate. Uh, That's a word that deals with space, but it also invokes a a feeling uh, or an image of difficulty. Because he says it's difficult, uh, it's a difficult way which leads to life. Why would God, and we're going to look at why he said all those things in a moment. Why is he talking about it being difficult? Because that word indicates trouble and affliction on that road. Now, I mean, when you're listening to this sermon, I I mean, the altar call is going like this all of a sudden. All those that want to take it easy, come down here. And all those that want to take it, have it hard, go over here. But we tend to want to take it easy, me included. Jesus said there aren't many people on this road, but those who enter the narrow gate, here's the difference. Those who enter the narrow gate will find life. So I can sum up the two verses this way. There's a wide and an easy way, and there are many on that road, but it ends in death. There's a narrow and a hard way, and there are few who take that road, but it ends in life. Hey, now look at me real quickly. Those verses are most of the time intended to talk about eternal life, and they definitely should be. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the verses were more than just talking about eternal life. They were also talking about day-to-day living. Because there is always in my daily life a, a, an easy decision that follows the, the cultural norms of the day that goes along with the crowd And then there is a God decision that follows what God would have me to do that brings life but is difficult to live on. And so you have got to decide what do you want to do with your life? You've got to decide today, how are you going to live your life? Because when you look at the 30,000 foot view, you can go along with the other billions of people on this world and you'll have company and you'll have friends and everything will be fine. But if you stay on that road, listen to me, it ends in death. In the ultimate decision and in the daily decisions. But there's another way. There's another way that's a little more difficult to find, a little more difficult to walk, but the ends are life. Have you ever heard the phrase, you begin with the end in mind? Jesus is saying, I need you to begin with the end in mind. Somebody make three statements that he's trying to tell us in these verses, and I'll be quick this morning. Number one, he's trying to tell us this. You have a choice to make with your life. Just jot that down. You have a choice to make with your life. Now, let me tell you something what Jesus is trying to say here, and if you're not careful, you'll miss this. If you're not careful, you'll miss what what, what he's trying to say. Get this. Here's what Jesus was trying to say in these two verses. Notice there's not a third verse. Why? Because there is no middle ground. You're either going to one of two places when you die, die, death or life. There are only two paths to follow, wide and narrow. 
destruction and life. There are only two roads. And listen, there is somebody here today that needs to hear what I'm about to say. You have got a choice to make with your life. You have to decide what road you're going to send your life down. You've got to decide what is going to be your life. What is going to be your eternal trajectory in life? What are you going to do with your life? Listen, you make decisions every day that impact your final success or failure. Every day you're making marriage decisions. Every day you're making family decisions. Every day you're making job decisions and spiritual decisions and financial decisions and relationship decisions and time decisions. Every day you are deciding what you're going to do with your life. Every day you're deciding what road you're going to be traveling down. Every day there are these little micro decisions in your life and you are deciding, and am I going to choose God's way or the broad way? And am I going to choose the right way or the wrong way? And every time you make a decision, you're steering your life in one direction or the other. But not only that, Jesus was talking about you've got to decide what you're going to do with your life when it comes to eternity. Listen, there, listen carefully. There are only two places to spend eternity, heaven and hell. I I don't say that with a smile on my face. But you've got to decide where you're going because here's what we tend to think. Listen, heaven is not for good people and hell for bad people. Heaven is for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and hell is for those who have rejected a personal relationship with Christ. There is no middle ground. There are people in this room today that you're saying, well, preacher, I've not decided yet. Yes, you have. Because if you've not decided for Jesus, you have already decided against Jesus. Listen, and you are one heartbeat away, one last breath from your decision being final. And Jesus said, you've got a choice to make with your life. We tend to get the idea that we're choosing between good, better, and best. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying you're choosing between life and death. Not good, better, and best. Life and death. This past week, the whole staff and I, we went to a church growth conference in Alabama. It was about a three-day event, and and, uh, almost everything we did was at this church, but um, uh, we... uh, um, we got to eat about two meals out. And so we played the eight men played the where we going to eat at tonight game. You play that game, right? And so I kind of, I kind of, we, we were knocking around one day and I finally said, oh, I've got a great restaurant to eat at. I'd ate there about six months ago and it was fantastic. Matter of fact, it was a restaurant that was owned by Taylor Hicks from American Idol. Anybody know Taylor Hicks from American Idol? But I think he sold it, man, because it was the worst food I've ever put in my mouth ever. It's terrible. I had to apologize for the guys for 24 hours for making them go there. Why 24 hours? Because they were sick 23 hours after eating it. They were still not feeling well from it. And so it was terrible. But you played that game with your, your wife, right? You get in the car and, and uh, um, uh, you get in your car with your wife. You're going to go on a date with your wife or your husband. And you get in the car and you're not decided before. And you say, well, where are we going to go? And, and here it starts. Well, where do you want to go? Well, you name three restaurants and I don't know. Just tell me where you want to go. I just want to go anywhere. 
So I've solved that problem in my house because here's what I, I say. I don't get Big Macs often, so I'll say, hey, well, my choice is McDonald's. What's your choice? <laughs> I force issue because I can throw down a Big Mac and large fry any day of the week. <laughs> I'm good with McDonald's. She'd be like, no, I don't want McDonald's. I, I want something else. Well, that's my choice. If I'm choosing, I'm going to McDonald's, right? You, you can taste those French fries right now, right? They're good, right? I mean, like, they're, oh, that's, that's, see, that's good. It's good stuff. I don't want to go to McDonald's. So you, you choose. And here, here's the deal. It doesn't matter where she chooses. It doesn't matter what restaurant we go to. It may not be my favorite restaurant. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go sit down in a restaurant. And somebody's going to wait on me, which is my one condition of a restaurant. If I'm going to pay for it, I don't want to have to fix my own food. You know, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do, uh, so I'm going to sit here. And somebody's going to bring well-cooked food to my table. And it may not be the exact thing I wanted that night, but it's going to be as close as I can get it to. And when it's all said and done, I'm still going to gain five pounds after that meal, if I, even if I own the restaurant, right? That's the way it works. Because no matter where she may choose to eat, it's that good, better, best decision. It may not be my favorite, but at least it'll be all right. Somehow we have developed that thinking into our eternal destiny. And we're like, well, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I may not be going to heaven, but preacher, how bad can hell be? Listen to me carefully. It is as bad as you can imagine it. Where you're going to spend eternity is the most important decision in your life. And so you have got to choose where are you going to spend eternity? And then every day of your life, you've got to start making good decisions, God decisions about your family, about your marriage, about your morality, about your spiritual life. If you've been in church any length of time, you know these verses, maybe the most famous verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. All that verse is telling you is make a God decision. Every time you make a decision, always lean in towards God. Always lean in toward his word. Always lean in to doing the right thing. And here's what'll happen. So many people cannot get ahead in life because they, they make a bad decision and a good decision and a bad decision. And it's two steps forward and three steps back. And God said, listen, here's what you've got to do. One decision leads to life. One decision leads to death. You have got to make good decisions. You've got a choice to make with your life. The second thing Jesus said in this verse was this. If you're going with the flow, you're headed to the sewer. I know, but it's, you'll remember it. <laughs> if you live in a country, it's, I'm going to the flow, but headed to the septic tank. Either way, it all goes same place. And so... The thing about making good decisions, get this, is that so few people make good decisions. Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount. He said the road to destruction, get this, is easy, wide, crowded, non-judgmental, and a safe choice. And when you look around this world and you find out you are doing every, you're doing everything everybody else is doing, you can know one thing for sure, you are on the wrong road. You say, well, preacher, everybody else is doing it. That's what Jesus said. 
And if you can say everybody else is doing it, there is a high probability you're on the wrong road. If you're going with the flow of the culture, if you're going with the flow of this world, you are headed for trouble. You are headed for destruction. Listen, the devil is always going to make the wrong path the easiest. Always. The devil is always going to make the wrong decision the easiest. And if you determine to follow the crowd, the norm, you're going to be the wrong way. But I want to tell you, it is hard to go against the crowd. You probably have never heard of the Ash experiments. Uh, 1951, a professor named, whose last name was Ash did a series of uh, psychological uh, experiments at Swarthmore College that are enormously famous today. It has to do with social proof and different things of that arena. And I, I don't want to give you... Uh, too much of the technicalities because I love this kind of thing, but, but hang with me. They took eight guys and they put them in a room and they gave them a card that looked like this. And uh, here's all they wanted you to do is they wanted to tell you whether A, B, or C was the same length as the line on the right. Pretty easy. So if you look at that card, which one is it? A, B, or C? C on the left, I think, but yeah, C. And they, made, they made the experiment so easy that they... Their, their estimate was you would get it right 99% of the time. It was true. When they did a blind study, they got it right 98 point something percent of the time. But here's what they did. They put these guys in a room, and some of this video still exists, and it's hilarious. And eight of the guys in the room, seven of them were actors, and one was the patsy. He didn't know everybody else was actors. And so they always made sure he answered last. So they showed him the first card, and they said, which one is the longest and the first guy to answer said C and then everybody said C because it's the right answer and then they asked him again and maybe he said B because B was the right answer on that card begin begin with the third experiment first guy studied it and C's the obvious answer and he said uh, A and the next guy studied it and he said A A A A and they got the camera on the eighth guy who doesn't know what's going on and when the first guy said, hey, you know, he kind of grins. And when the second guy says it, he's like, well, wait a minute. And the third guy says it, you see the sweat beginning to form on his brow. Like, what? Is my eyesight going bad all of a sudden? And so they get down to the eighth guy, and they ran this experiment over a dozen times. Will you follow the crowd, or will you say what is obviously the right answer? And get this, only 25% of the participants in the study gave the right answer no matter what. 75% of the participants gave a wrong answer even though it was obvious it was a wrong answer. It's easy to go along with the crowd even when you know it's wrong. Can I say to you, that's what a lot of us are doing today. That's what a lot of people are doing today. That you follow the world. You follow their way of life. You follow their reasoning, their spirituality, their religion, their gods. But it's all wrong. And just because they are doing it does not make it right. Some of you here today are headed the wrong way with your life. And here's the deal. You've got company on the road. 
You've got friends on the road. You've got families on that road. And you, man, you're saying, but preacher, this road is fun and this road is easy and everybody else is doing it. And if I do something different, I'll be doing the opposite of what everybody I know is doing. I know, I know, I know. But the bridge is out at the end of your road. And you're headed 100 miles an hour to destruction because I'm telling you, if you're going with the flow, you are headed to the sewer without a doubt. It leads me to the third thing Jesus was saying. He said one way is the right way. One way is the right way. Jesus made it clear what we all ought to do. Go through the narrow gate, get on the difficult road, Go the way few are going. Why is it a narrow gate? Because there is only one door that leads to life, one way to heaven, and people miss that because of its simplicity. You say, well, preacher, that's pretty myopic, isn't it? I mean, do we really believe there's only one way to heaven? Do Christians really believe? Well, let me say this. Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes in the Father but by me. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus believe there was only one way to heaven? Yes or no? If there's more than one way to heaven, why did he die on the cross? He just said, do that other thing over there. But can I tell you this? Mormons believe there's only one way. Catholicism teaches there's only one way. Read an article this week that's supposed to be the... the, uh, Most inclusive religion there is, Buddhism. Buddhism believes the only path to enlightenment is through the teachings of Buddha. The only difference between them and us is we have the truth. We all believe there's only one way. And so we miss it because of its simplicity. That's why it's narrow. Why is it a difficult road? Because people on the other road are going to give you a hard time about being on this road. Why are there so few people on it? Because most people would rather go along with the crowd. It's hard to find people that are willing to step out, stand out, and live out a God-centered life. And it's not that people are looking and can't find the right way. They aren't looking at all. Would you close your Bibles? Let me tell you a story and I'll be finished. I'll wrap all this up in just three or four minutes. Somewhere in the Rockies, and you may have heard this story, in the roughly 1,000 miles between Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the Canadian border, there is maybe, probably, a treasure chest worth $2 million. The man who claims to have hidden the fortune back in 2010 is Forrest Finn, who's now 87, a former Vietnam fighter pilot and art dealer. Back, back in 1988, Forrest Finn got um, cancer, and he put all of this fortune. He was a... Uh, He was kind of a um, uh, self-taught archaeologist. And the chest he he filled with gold, rubies, diamonds, and coins, golden coins, is about a square foot in size and weighs 40 pounds. It has emeralds, rubies, gold coins, and diamonds, uh, all he found while he was doing archaeology. And so when he got cancer in 1988, he put it on this chest and he planned on going into the mountains and dying with his chest. However, he overcame cancer. And so he kept that chest stored away in his house for a long time. And he said in 2010 that lots of people were losing their jobs. Despair was all over the headlines. Now I want to give some people some hope. So he went out 
and he, uh, he, he, he buried that chest worth $2 million somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And the only clue he left was in a self-published memoir uh, called The Thrill of the Chase. He left a cryptic 24-line poem. I've actually got it. Here's where he reposted it on Instagram. He left a cryptic, there it is on the left, a 24-line poem about it. It is estimated that 350,000 people have combed through the mountains looking for the treasure. Six people have died while looking for the treasure. I mentioned it to my wife about vacation next year, and I don't think she's interested. <laughs> I just think it'd be fun to go to the Rockies and uh, look, look for it. He says that someone has been within 500 feet of the treasure and someone has been within 200 feet of the treasure. He also says he has told absolutely no one where it is, not even his wife. So when he dies, the secret dies with him. 350,000 people. Six people have died looking for a treasure chest that may or may not exist. And life and eternal life sit, sit right in front of us every day. And you don't have to search for the treasure. Jesus makes it available to you right now if you'll walk through the narrow gate and get on the right road. Because only one way is the right way. Would you stand with me across the building? You say, preacher, well, how, do you, how do we end this sermon? Well, here, here's what you need to do. So let's just be blunt. There are people in this building who if you die today, you'd spend eternity in hell. I don't say that because I'm happy about it. I don't say that because I like it. I say that because I love you and I care about you. And if you're not going to heaven when you die, I'd be afraid to walk out of that door. Because you're one heartbeat away. You're one breath away from eternity. You can't take that decision back. So in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to be saved, to know you're going to heaven, to trust Jesus as your Savior. And here's what you need to do today. You need to make a good decision. And it's a good decision to trust Jesus. Some of you are here today and you have chosen the narrow gate. Follow me. But you're trying to live on the broad way. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, you, you walk through the narrow gate of salvation, but you can't get your eyes off the broad way the other way. The people that are walking the opposite direction of you. And here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to be saved and live like them. You're trying to live in between two roads. And you know what you call in between two roads? A ditch. And you've steered your life into a ditch with bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And here's what you need to do today. You need to walk down this aisle. You need to find a place to kneel. And you need to say, dear God, I need to make a good decision. Lord, it seems like I keep stacking up bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. God, I need the strength 
and the help to make good decisions. There are teenagers that need to pray that prayer. There are adults that need to pray that prayer. Where we just need to kneel, find a place to kneel and say, God, it's, I stack them up. I have a hard time. Hard time. You have a choice to make just now. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Our staff is coming. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, um, let's take care of that today. Really, let's take care of that right now. Right where you stand, you can become a Christian today. You can choose Christ today. You can choose life today. If you want to do that, pray with me. Pray in your heart or out loud right you are. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I can't save myself, but I know Christ died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again on the third day. And just now, I invite Christ into my life to forgive me of my sins and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You say, preacher, is that all I had to do to become a Christian? That's it. You got to live it after that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But God made, God made that decision so easy. He did all the work. You just have to make the decision. While our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.